All right, here we go. We're live. We're live. Take it away, Hello. Chief. Hello, everyone. This is Peter Burson, and we are here for part two, not part one, but part two of 1982's version of Money Talks and Bullshit Walks. And of course, I am here with the general, the king and president of Wissahickon. And we've already been through that. And where we left off, boys and girls, was we were talking about Hollywood on the Schuylkill and the Kelly family. If you missed that, too bad. We're going on now. Uh, Hollywood on the Schuylkill uh, was okay. Uh, hopefully, it'll be better this time. That's anyway, about so, Ripland, right? That, that yeah. Ripland, Kelly? Yeah. So, in 1982, there were certainly more things that occurred in Philadelphia. Um, the Phillies didn't win. That's Damn. an occurrence. The Eagles did not win. Another occurrence. Uh, the Sixers definitely beat the Celtics in the Eastern Conference, which in itself was a great thing. That's but true. But who did they lose to? The Lakers. Of course. And the Flyers won their division, but not the Stanley Cup. In case you were worried, we, we, we did what we always do. Anyway, uh, I don't know about you, Joe, but these are, are painful memories for me. And uh, well, that's the last digression I have for now. And we'll move on, because uh, I don't want to make this any longer than War and Peace. Uh, so- We'd all appreciate uh, that. I do know, uh, we're going to go backwards, because one of our faithful listeners, probably our only listener, reminded me that in 1982, there was a fight on the floor of city council. Joe Frazier? No, Franny Rafferty versus John Street. No Joe, no Joe smoking Joe Frazier, huh? What's up uh, with that? What was going on there? You know, I, I don't know, but it, I thought this happened in 83. I think when we talked, you said it happened in 81. Turns out, my legal research or something like that tells me it was 82. Uh, and I looked it up. So we've already covered 81, but I thought that was something that people should know about. Fran Rafferty was a pretty big guy. I don't know if you remember that. And Street had just been elected to council and he was pretty much back then a person of, uh, who was really fighting with uh, the government and the city about housing and uh, those sorts of social issues. Uh, and that's how he got elected. Rafferty was a whole different world. And um, so they had a fight. I don't think it was over uh, anything having to do with the fine points of the city charter or I don't believe it was having to do with the debate between Lincoln and Douglas. But anyway. Could have uh, been Sixers, Celtics, who knows? Anybody famous break up that fight? I think it was Bob Brady. Why? Well, believe it or not, our erstwhile former congressman and the Democratic city chairman, and he's been the chairman for quite some time, but he uh, was a ward leader from the 34th Ward uh, at the time, Which is and that's where? an Overbrook Park, Overbrook, okay. or Overbrook Farms, one of those places. Anyway, he was the Sergeant of Arms for Philadelphia City Council, and that's big, all right, big. How do you get the job of being Sergeant of Arms for City Council? 
get to be big. Well, or you, you have to know that the key, the key word in Philadelphia, patronage. So here's Bob, and I don't know, and of course we're, we're entitled to have alternative truth because Kellyanne Conway says, uh, and uh, so we're gonna say that Brady broke it up. Sounds good. So now we have, we had the legend, uh, and for the urban myth, if you want to call it. Uh, and uh, I don't have ADD like most of you people think I do. Uh, but in, in 19, Joe, stop laughing. I don't have any drugs to treat it, so I'm undiagnosed, and we'll just go on. But one other thing that happened in 82, um, and it still lives with us today, and it's almost 40 years ago. And that was the shooting uh, death of uh, police officer Danny Faulkner at 13th and Locust um, mm -hmm. by Mumia. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and uh, of course, uh, I'm not sure if some of our younger podsters are fully aware of the events that occurred uh, back then but it certainly was a notable event in the city's history uh, and it goes on uh, and uh, it, it happened at 13th and Locust and what happened was this Mumia had been a uh, a radio announcer uh, or disc jockey I think it was more of an announcer anyway at WDAS uh, he had been a Black Panther sympathizer, but I don't really think he ever joined the Panther. And he was also a sympathizer with MOVE. Uh, we'll get to MOVE, and that will be a long and lengthy discussion. And uh, at the time that all this occurred, he was driving a cab, and he was a hack, so to speak. And he was in a parking lot at 13th and Locust, or parked there. And Faulkner's vehicle, his police uh, car, squad car, drives into the neighborhood. Uh, and Mumia takes off after the car. There's not, it's not quite clear why he ran after the car and after Faulkner. Uh, the speculation is that Mumia had been in some sort of a uh, altercation or back and forth with a policeman who was driving that car that squad car with, with a squad car number but i that's mere speculation there were witnesses to this but uh in essence what happened uh was that he ran to faulkner faulkner got out of the car and mumia shot first and he uh, or at the same time and he kills faulkner and faulkner uh during this also shoots mumia so it wasn't as if there was some sort of uh, TV car chase scene. When the uh, ambulances arrive, both Faulkner, who's dead at this point, and Mumia are lying on the street at 13th and Locust. Uh, Mumia, had, there were there was there were other witnesses, but Mumia uh, is lying there. There is a gun that is found within feet of him. Uh, that was test uh, was tested. They fingerprinted it, so it was him who shot. 
uh, Faulkner. And so that's where it goes. But the interesting part about this is that there was one witness there that probably nobody really knows about. And his name was William Cook. And Cook, I believe, was driving a cab and they were, he was having some sort of a conversation with Mumia when all these events occurred. So what then happens is all these things happen and the police start what they would call canvassing. And they talk to Cook and Cook, uh, it turns out, is Mumia's brother, either stepbrother or brother. Um, and that's the last anybody hears from Cook. He's been asked to come to court. He's subpoenaed to come to court. He does not show. Uh, the only quote that I'm aware of from Cook is, and he hasn't spoken on this subject for forever, as far as I know, is uh, I think the quote goes something like, I'm not in this. And that was the end of, of uh, Cook's uh, well-being. There was an eyewitness who saw the uh, incident and saw that Mumia shot first. The jury uh, found that that was truthful. So the case has uh, gone back and forth through the courts. Um, the first trial, I believe, even though this is an 82, we might as well deal with it now. Um, and remember, let's keep in mind one other thing. He may have been a move sympathizer, but anything that happened 19, after 1982 or 83, he was not involved with, involving Osage Avenue or anything else. He was in jail. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people think this had to do with move, but it didn't. So the first thing that happens is this, uh, uh, shall we say, the trial, which is a total circus. Uh, we're coming back to move now. Uh, Mumia decided uh, that he was going to represent himself at the first trial. And you know what they say, uh, anybody who represents himself as his own lawyer has a fool for a client. So. Uh, then what happens is John Africa shows up to assist in these proceedings. That did not go over well with the judge. Uh, they asked for permission for Africa to, John Africa to sit at counsel table, and the judge said, he's not a lawyer, get out of here. Now, just so you know, in general practice, and this happened in this case as well, when a defendant chooses to represent themselves in a criminal matter, the judge always appoints what they call backup counsel. So he did have a lawyer with him, and so it goes. Uh, uh, I'm not sure. I don't think it was a public defender. And the reason I say that was, uh, again, a little known fact in American or Philadelphia history is the public defenders for a long time, a long time, did not represent people who were accused of homicide. Those appointments went to the private bar and you can figure out why. But uh, I will, I will suggest that perhaps that there was money from court appointments, uh, particularly in homicide cases that would be available, whereas the public defenders, of course, would be doing it for free. So 
there was no public defender. I'm not positive who represented him at the, uh, at the trial. So he goes to trial, the jury convicts him, and then the case proceeds on and on and on. Uh, there, and, and he's sentenced to death. And that's where the radio show comes from, live from death row. So uh, after the trial, then after being convicted, what he had a ready, he had a radio program after being convicted. Yeah, yeah. I did not know that. There you go, live from death row. So he he has the rare, and this is what sort of puts him into the public view for for so long because. He's viewed as, aside from there's groups of people who don't believe he did it, he's also become sort of a media celebrity because of, of the, uh, the media he created, so to speak. So the first uh, round of appeals has to do with the, uh, the death sentence that was imposed, and that uh, was overturned. Then the next round uh, had to do with uh, the admission of certain evidence. But the, uh, and he's lost it every time. I believe this has definitely been to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court and I believe the US Supreme Court on various procedural grounds, not guilt or innocence, that's been determined. Then uh, the latest uh, their salvo, so to speak, has been that uh, this, the state, the DA's office, hid evidence that would have been what they call exculpatory. It would have shown that he didn't do uh, the crimes that he was accused of and convicted of. And as uh, evidence, uh, the uh, council, the new, the council, current council for Mumia has suggested that there were boxes and boxes of evidence that the DA's office uh, squirreled away in a, in a secret room uh, in the DA's office. Um, who, who is the DA at this point? Now? Yeah, no, no, no back in 82. Okay, so in 82, it's uh, Rendell, Edward yeah. Rendell, who goes on to be Edward G. Rendell, uh, and mayor, governor, and um, football also, guy. also, I believe, a person on the scene at the Osage bombing, but we'll get to that, at the move bombing. He was, I believe he was there. So, what happens now, and this is what's currently in front of Judge Tucker, uh, is that because there is an accusation that these, this evidence has been secretly put away uh, in a storage room, that the judge is now going to examine the documents as to whether or not there was exculpatory evidence. The district attorney's office uh, has denied that it had exculpatory evidence and that it turned over all the documents that it had and that were relevant. So that's where we are. I don't believe that Judge Tucker has made a decision. I know that the documents that the district attorney's office has in their possession from that secret room, quote unquote, uh, have been turned over to the judge for his review. I know a little bit about where these documents were. Uh, they were just put in a storage room from the trial and the investigation because there was no other place to put them to keep them sequestered. 
So that's where they are, and I, that's where they were. I know where the room is, but I don't want to get involved in it. But I worked very, very closely as to the as to the location of those documents. So that's Mumia, and these uh, this incident has strung out for 40 years and there's been demonstrations, there's been all sorts of things, but that's the bare essentials of the facts. I don't think we need to get into the general procedures that caused the case to get appealed and then having further evidence uh, involving documents and those sorts of things. So that's Mumia and the, the it's, it seems pretty strange about the about William Cook not coming to uh, court. But Joe, let me pose this question because there is something else at Thirteenth and Locust. What do you know about what's there? A couple good restaurants. Right now? There. No, the no. Yeah, right now, as a matter of fact. Have you ever heard of a woman named Alice Paul? Sure. She was a historian, right? No, not quite. Alice Paul, uh, if I can digress, but we're in 82. Uh, she, and we're on 13th and Locust, was a Quaker. She's actually born in, uh, or she's born here, but she grew up in Moorestown, New Jersey. And you ever met a poor Quaker, by the way? Gee, okay. I never heard that before. <laughs> well, in fact, there, there is uh, some documents or some evidence to believe that she is a descendant of William Penn. But um, she was a very worldly woman, uh, Alice Paul. Uh, she... Uh, in the early 1900s, she became deeply involved uh, in women's suffrage uh, and that movement. Uh, she was a leader uh, in fighting for women's rights to vote. Uh, she also founded the Women's National Party, which took up other women's issues besides voting. Anyway, there is a historical marker at 13th and Locust commemorating Alice Paul. That's where Paul's awesome. headquarters were. So again, to the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, well, I don't know. It's 13th and Locust is there, uh, and uh, that's what we have uh, for a uh, postscript. But I will say, since Green was still the mayor in '82, let's just throw in this for a fun fact, or just yeah. for discussion. Um, as you may recall, when we spoke about Green, he said that city council was the world's worst deliberative body in the free world. I'm sorry. Um, of course, what's sort of uh, ironic about that is his son, William Green, went on to become a member of city council. Uh, uh, and he was also, in fact, uh, at least a member, and I'll have to do a little further research, but uh, certainly a member may have been the head of the SRC, which is the School Reform Commission, created by the legislature to bail out the city's public schools and to address charter school issues. So that is the end of 1982. 1983, 
is something wholly different, but that is the end of segment two, chapter two, episode two of 1982, Money Talks and Bullshit Walks. I hope this was better than part one. <laughs> Signing out, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Stay tuned for 1983. We'll be posting that sometime in the near future. Good night, Show. Yeah. See you, Pete. <laughs>